Good evening and welcome to another edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined as always by my buddy Rob. What's up, Rob? Hey, how's it going, everyone? <laughs> Hopefully everyone is doing well. Um, we're starting to lose track of the numbers that JMU is putting up here. But another big win over in-state rival William & Mary this weekend. Uh, that, ex- that is JMU's 20th straight win over an FCS opponent. Uh, I don't know that there's another stat that says much more about what's going on with JMU football right now than that. What was the last loss? Colgate? It was. You're right. Yeah. So Mike Houston has not lost to an FCS opponent. Jeez. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's really hard. Um, the program has won their program record eight straight on the road. They have extended their overall winning streak to 19 games uh, since losing to Mitch Trubisky and the Tar Heels last year. They are one shy of the CAA record for consecutive conference wins, uh, which we're all hoping they can pick up this coming weekend at home against New Hampshire at homecoming. Um, They've won 15 straight in the regular season. They have also, I mean, I don't even know what to say at this point. They probably clinched a playoff berth this week. Uh, JMU is now 7-0 with four games remaining, one of which is against Rhode Island. There are only two teams, James Madison and our beloved North Dakota State Bison, that are at that mark. So it's really, Jamie was also clinched now with four wins in the CAA, at least a 500 record in conference. So usually the, the watermark for making the playoffs. I know people will say it's too early to talk about that, but hard, hard not to, the way this team is rolling. So we are incredibly, again, <laughs> brought to you again by Pale Fire Brewing Company in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Very nice. Yep. Um, I'm enjoying my Pale Fire pint glass right now. So go buy Pale Fire anytime if you're down in the valley, especially this weekend at homecoming. Mention the Jamie Sports Blog Podcast and you'll get a free pint glass. You can enjoy some fine beverages as well. So that, uh, one other thing we want to talk about is we are excited. We we had a guest a couple weeks ago, Bennett Conlon. We may have a couple other Jamie-related guests in the next week or two. Uh, we're not going to have anybody tonight, but we're kind of excited about that. So hopefully there'll be some good things in store for everyone who's paying attention. And I guess before we get going, thank you so much to everyone who is paying attention. This has been, uh, we've like a lot of other JMU media, I'm sure, we have experienced a, uh, a pleasant game day related bump the last couple of weeks. And we're just so glad that people are... <laughs> was that due to game day? Come on. <laughs> Come on. It was all give us some credit. Give us some credit. Right. Well, it is great that some, we, we, we have had some longtime JMU fans uh, that have probably been, I don't know, skeptical about our efforts over the years, reach out in the last couple of weeks and, and um, talk about how they're enjoying what we're doing. So we, we just we're so thankful to everybody who's paying attention and enjoying this. Um, yes, and, and breaking news, my wife and kids decided to tune in last week, which was, you know, very supportive. They said they didn't make it a full minute, um, and my, my kids go, Daddy, you're not even on it. It's just Mr. Todd. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, oh, I'm always wrecking so, the beginning. Yeah. Well, no, uh, whatever. And then my wife was like, did you really talk for 51 minutes about football? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, Actually, we talked like 30 minutes about football and then 21 minutes about mascots. Yeah, well, e- either way, she yeah. was perplexed. Yeah. I guess I guess she's proud of us, but feels bad for the listeners or, or can't relate. So. That's funny. Yes. So 
without further ado, we'll get right into four downs from the big win over the pantsless Griffins this week. Uh, Rob, do you want to take first down? Yeah, I guess the main thing uh, with that intro that you gave Mm -hmm. us about all the tremendous things going on in January football, I was kind of shocked by the online reaction to this 32-point win. Um, (laughs) Certain segments of the internet uh, are a little bit crazier than others, and sports internet is is not immune to that. JMU sports internet is not immune to that, but People are acting like the sky is falling when JMU just won by 32 points. Uh, wasn't that the, the 40th meeting between JMU and William & Mary? Mm-hmm. That is an in-state rival. You know, there's a lot of passion. Those teams always play each other well. Um, last year, remember, it came down to an interception in the end zone. Um, there's some, the, the great Daquan Scott game where we didn't even complete a pass. We knocked them off when they were number one. Like, it's a cliche, but you kind of need to throw out the record books when these teams get together. They always play each other well. And JMU just had the largest margin of victory in the history of the rivalry. And people are acting like, oh, my gosh, this team is just – it's falling apart, don't have what it takes, no chance it's going to happen. Um, it's amazing. 32 points. It was unquestionably not Brian Shore's strongest game. Um, right. He's entitled – have a pedestrian game every now and again. Sure. A pedestrian game in which he throws for two touchdowns, um, put one right in all's hand, which would have been a third. Um, it, it just, it, it blows my mind. The defense is doing insane things. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that was the sixth game in a row. They've held the opponent under 300 yards. Um, yep. And that's in college. You know, 300 <laughs> yards is not that big of a deal. Not this day offense. and age. Nope. Not this day and age. Uh, Jamie's absolutely shutting people down. They're scoring big. Every single game has been a two-score game. And people are acting like, oh, my gosh, this team stinks. There's no hope. It's like we've been saying it for weeks, and I guess we just aren't persuasive or, or people don't listen to us or <laughs> maybe we don't know what we're talking about. But this is not the JMU team from a couple of years ago. This is a defensive team. It's meant to win games that are even closer than this you know it was built to win tight games to shut down the opponent and take what the opponent gives it it's not going to be the badly offense or even you know the offense of last year um, i think we saw that when the team really hit its stride it became much more balanced last year mm-hmm. at this at this point last season i think a lot of fans were like oh my gosh you know if this team gets hot you know might be able to outscore some folks in the playoffs you know through six seven weeks Nobody thought Jamie was a championship contender. Nope. Uh, Those are just some purple-colored glasses you're looking back at the past. Mm -hmm. There were major issues on the defensive side of the ball. Um, This team is not lighting up the scoreboard, but I think by any objective measure, it's a better team through seven weeks than it was last year. Yep. Um, I think think the reaction's over the top. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because this team is, you know, weirdly, I don't know what to say about the CAA this year. But this is a team that's built to win games against Valley teams. I yeah. think that's what Houston, I mean, he saw when he came in that what he needed to change from Withers to his group was he needed to be ready to beat teams in November and December. He didn't want a finesse team no. that was going to put up 40 points a game in September out of conference and then lose to Colgate. Right. And the, this weekend's a perfect example. It's William and Mary homecoming against a rival. Jamie is the number one team in the nation with all those gaudy stats we talked about at the beginning. Every team is playing JMU, you know, with a huge target on its back. And it is crazy. I mean, even with our talk about Shore, he made one of those vintage Shore plays on that kind of sc- double scramble and throw down the sidelines to Hyman this weekend. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's not there. 
And it, it is amazing how quickly JMU fans, I guess any fans, tend to forget, I don't know, the, the 2010 to 2013 era of 13-12 Justin Thorpe-led seven, yeah. seven for 23 performances. It's you know, just, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, he's still he's still what completing sixty five percent of his passes. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's I don't know. It's just we're spoiled, I guess. I mean, I do it too. I yeah. start watching games I'm like, oh my gosh, this offense isn't clicking. Then next thing you know, oh, thirty three points off turnovers. Right. Okay. Well, that's going to impact your yardage stats and everything else when you get the benefit of short fields. Um, sure. These are good problems to have. Yeah, and I, I know I'm going to talk a little bit more about scheme issues when we get to the concern portion, but. Yeah, I, d- I don't think there's any problem at all with what JMU is is doing and and the trajectory they're headed, you know, wh- where they're trending as the season goes along. So with that, I'll go to my second down, which is a big welcome to redshirt freshman Ethan Ratke in the kicking game. So um, there was a slight injury this weekend, or, or at least according to Houston, a slight injury to starting kicker Tyler Gray. That's a concern. Rob and I are big champions of Tyler's. He's been a really clutch kicker the last couple of years when 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 needed. Yes. And it was great to see another kid step in and hit a couple kicks later on, including a 40-yarder that looked like it would have been good from considerably longer. Yeah. You know, and uh just it did it didn't I mean it was a true next man up. And I think you know, there's a lot of positions on the team where next man up can be a cliche. But I think things like kicking game and quarterback are the types of positions where, I mean, personally for me, when when I heard that Tyler had limped off the field, I was very concerned. And it was great to see somebody else step up and and truly be the next man up. Well, it's nuts because, like, people tend to take special teams for granted. We all do, Mm. you know, but but it's significant. And this year, for JMU, special teams are a real weapon. And it's crazy to think that Houston has, has created a situation. We have depth. At special teams, right? You know, there are multiple punters who can punt. You know, we've got different. Miller's obviously a stud returning, but there's other guys who can return the ball. Um, and then you mentioned with the kicker the kicking game, we didn't miss a beat. Um, it's really an embarrassment of riches all around this program. And I, I know we sound like kind of pompous jerks talking about how great <laughs> JMU is, but we're really more appreciative than than we are attempting to be braggadocious here. Yeah, and and special teams is one of those areas that truly is reflective of coaching. I think. Yeah. And, you know, that is an area that has just completely been shored up since Mike Houston took over. And, you know, you heard all the kind of national announcers as Jamie went through the playoffs last year coming to the realization that this team was the best in the country at the third phase of the game. And they took it as seriously as any other phase. And, hey, you know, yeah, you yeah. know what's cool about that, though? When Jimmy Moreland worked his way back, he did it mostly through special teams. He did. And, mm-hmm. and he showed, you know, that's obviously <laughs> like – Tremendously athletic, he's a great player, but that's clearly was a path laid out to him. Like, hey, this is important. You prove yourself here. You're going to get opportunities. And by the end of the season, the playoffs, he was back to you know a major contributor on the defense. But the first couple of games, it was strictly like punt and kick coverage for him. Big time. You go back and look at any of those Rashard Davis big returns from last year. Yeah, and I guarantee you will see Jimmy Moreland out front throwing blocks well downfield. Yeah, right, and just hustling all the way from goal line to goal line. And yeah, that, that JMU puts their best players out there. They take it seriously and it shows in the results. So Rob, you want to take third down? Um, I guess since we're kind of talking about, or we were talking about the offense and mm-hmm. how it's not the, 
the same kind of juggernaut that it was last year, I still was really impressed. I think we saw glimpses of them kind of turning the corner. Uh, clearly some mistakes this week, mm-hmm. but that first drive until the interception, which was a little bit fluky, I thought was about as efficient as a drive, of a drive as I've seen all season. Yeah, it um, was They're mixing it up, running the pass, um, getting the ball to guys in space, kind of going, you know, not, not deep balls, but going down the field a little bit. It was really, really nice. In particular, I really liked what I saw from the running backs. Um, Marcus Marshall, yeah. uh, Trey Sharp, they didn't have, like, really gaudy stats, but they did a lot of things better. They showed a lot more. Well, Sharp's kind of had it going in streaks all year. But Marshall, I thought, showed a lot of patience and was kind of letting the holes develop before hitting them. Uh, I thought it was kind of the evolution of somebody who's starting to grasp the idea of running between the tackles. Yep. He had, he had a couple of really nice ones, found the end zone twice. And then the other thing is Clay Cheatham's become heck of a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, it's incredible. It's, You're, yeah. it's, it's incredible. I mean, like, it's a new position. He's a true freshman, and he's just downright dangerous. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I, I talked about both those guys on the blog today. It's incredible. I mean, Marcus Marshall, it, the stats don't reflect it other than the two touchdowns this week. But I mean, yeah, see the five yards to carry. Right. And you could just see the eye test, you know, just showed it's clicking for him. Yeah. You know, he was there this weekend. And that is a huge development for JMU if they can have both Sharp and Marshall in the mix. The way that last year we had Abdullah and Johnson. I think we thought this year we we're going to start the season with Johnson and someone else. Yeah. And it just hasn't quite gotten there. But Marshall definitely. I don't know. There was just a little burst. Something was there this weekend. Um, he's kind of realizing where the holes are, and it was great to see. And then Clayton Cheatham. I mean, I, I said today. I mean, he's quick. He's not going to be a secret weapon by the time the playoffs come. And no. unfortunately, on the injury front, I think we found out that uh, it looks like Nick Carlton has an injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season. He was the early season replacement for Jonathan Klusterman when Klusterman was suspended and did really well, caught a big touchdown down at ECU and had, you know, really developed. But man, I mean, Cheatham looks like, I don't mean to say it, but I mean, he looks like he might be the best, one of the best options on the team yeah. as we come down the stretch. I mean, developing very quickly. Yeah. yeah it, it's crazy. I mean, all, all the receivers, it's, I was looking this up prior to getting online tonight and every, nearly every game, there's a different guy who kind of emerges in, in the passing game. Yep. I think through seven weeks, there's been five different guys that have led the team in receiving yards. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to see alls maybe separate himself from the pack and become that kind of alpha receiver. Sure. But otherwise, any given week, I mean, you've got Eldridge, who's who's great. Cheatham, who's great. Uh, Archie had a big week. Hyman is still mm-hmm. really good. Um, Riley Stapleton. There's a number of weapons. I, I think we might be seeing a situation where down the stretch, almost like you see in college basketball, where – you start to kind of shorten the bench. Yep. I'm wondering if we're starting to see that uh, with the emergence of all kind of as that go-to guy, that clear number one, and if that's going to have an impact on the offense. Yep. And before I get to fourth down, I mean, just to stay on Clayton Cheatham for a second, you know, his brother was a phenomenal Jamie player wearing the mm-hmm. same number, playing the same position. But I think we always felt like, I mean, he was, you know, I don't, I don't mean to knock him in any way, but he was a guy who maximized his talent completely. He was, more of a, he was more of a grinder. Yeah, he was a grinder, right? And there's something a little different. I mean, there's an athleticism with Clayton getting down the field that is ch- going to be able to change this offense. 
and is really exciting, not just for this year, but going forward for the Dukes. Yeah, I mean, so. as a true freshman, JMU's had some really good tight ends over the years, and sure. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it looks like we got another one. Yeah, I mean, when you think about Brian Barlow and Dean Cheatham and I guess I mean, Daniel... even going back to like Ed Perry. Yeah, day, oh yeah. You know? Yeah, really great players, and obviously Klusterman now. Yeah. So it'll be great as Klusterman gets healthier and healthier. And I thought it was good from the coaches to see a lot of plays this week where Klusterman and Cheatham were both on the field. Yeah. And and that I think the coaches realize what kind of what kind of matchups they're going to get when they have those two guys out there. Mm-hmm. So that's great. For my fourth down, I, I can't let this go, but this is just a this is a JMU SB favorite. There's no way to not talk about Jimmy F and Moreland. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I know that's late in the game and I know it doesn't mean a lot, but No, it meant a lot to me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's just wonderful. I mean I don't even know what happened on that play. <laughs> it was like he was the one being thrown to. But well, he just well, always, that's what happens with him. He's around the football, and he every time he is near the football, it may be a touchdown. Right? Well, it, yeah. And not just him. The, no. whole, the whole secondary is like that. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just, it, what is it? They say if you have two quarterbacks, you, you, don't, you don't have one. One, right. Well, if you have three quarterbacks, you have a dumpster fire. I, yes, I don't know us. what William Mary has going on back there. No, but the, this, this, this reputation Laycock has is like a quarterback whisperer. There's got to be a shelf life on that. Yeah. Um, choose one of the guys and let him play. I don't want to tell somebody how to coach their team, but what is going on? Jamie through, what, the last two games has faced five different quarterbacks? Yeah, uh, clearly JMU has something to do with it, but to run three guys out there, that was I, I haven't seen that before. No, I haven't either, and I, I don't know if Laycock, you know, I mean, there's no no reason to doubt Laycock, but no, he, he's yeah. done an amazing job. job. Right, the guy has produced some really really get great QBs, but um, I would have just I don't know choose yeah. one and let him go the rest of the year. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, Mitchell, it wasn't like it was Mitchell's fault that they were losing early in the game. I didn't think he looked markedly worse than anybody else. No, and I don't know if maybe Laycock just thought, like, I don't want the freshman to get crossed here. You know? Confidence thing? Yeah. And and on the DB thing, before we move on to concerns, is, is, I mean, both the Moreland interception, I think the the Robinson interception was a tip play, the Jordan Brown pick early. I mean, those are almost like the DBs are running the routes, and that's a huge credit to the pressure up front because – I mean, those quarterbacks were just throwing off their back foot into no man's land. And... But, the, but the routes got jumped, too. It yeah, wasn't completely. just bad throws. No, it, it, was, was... it was all around good defense, mm-hmm. getting a good read on it, and then just open space when they saw yeah. taking the gamble and going with it. Yeah. So with that, we will move on to a concern leaving this game and heading into the New Hampshire game. Um, Rob, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I guess I – guess... My concern is it's a slight cop-out. It's more like something I'm looking forward to. I'm kind of excited to see this defense against a much more capable offense. Sure. Um, I've I've been a little bit worried to see how it would be. Um, You know, Jamie's played some really playoff caliber defenses, but not any sort of light them up you know, greatest show on turf, Rams sort of of offenses. New Hampshire is going to provide that test. Yes. So – I'm not particularly concerned. I think JMU will answer the bell. I think they'll do quite well. But I am just kind of – it's a bit of an unknown more than a concern. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody would say that JMU's played a top offense, even a top half of the CAA offense. Mm-hmm. You know, with New Hampshire and Richmond, we're about to see that. And 
it's exciting. I think they're ready. But in the back of my head, I am like, okay, is it going to be it, – it, it can't continue to be this good, can it? No. <laughs> Who knows? Um, this weekend is definitely going to show us something different. I think Houston – I mean, said they're giving up – Nothing. Jamie's giving up 4.3 yards per pass. Not rushing. <laughs> per you pass. Know, per passing. Right. I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. Uh, so, like, I mean, even if you have a significant regression from that, you're still going to turn out on top. Yeah, I mean, that's 75-pounders level pass defense. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think Houston, you know, Coach Houston has talked about the last couple of weeks that the CAA, he feels like generally, is well ahead. The, the defenses in the CAA, CAA are ahead of the offenses this year. And I think that's been pretty apparent. Rob and I talked last week about teams that maybe aren't playoff caliber teams overall, but have had playoff caliber defenses. And Jamie's faced a lot of those. Um, and so it, it's, I don't know, it's just, we haven't seen the full thing. I think this week with New Hampshire and their quarterback, Trevor Knight, who, you know, right there with Shore and a couple others is, is one of the better offensive players in the conference. This will be a much bigger challenge for the Duke's defense. And it'll be really fun to see if they can get up for it at homecoming at home and uh, step up to the challenge. Yeah, and you talk about having the proverbial target on your back. That is certainly true this weekend, plus a serious oh, yeah. chip on the shoulder for New Hampshire. They just got embarrassed last year in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a, a tough test. New Hampshire is going to come ready to play, and they always have such a great offense. It's, it's always a fun game. Um, but they play Jamie really, really tough, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so my, my concern this week is a scheme question offensively. And I don't know whether to be concerned about this or whether it says more about Jamie's philosophy like we talked about last week. But it's pretty clear that some, quite a few teams this year seem to have a really good idea what Jamie was going to do offensively. And a lot of the kind of designed rollouts for sure, there's a guy waiting for him. You know, it's not that the guy makes the sack necessarily, but the play is disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the plays where it's a drop back pass, the teams seem to be able to force Shore out of the pocket to the side where the receivers have vacated. So he's kind of running around, really waiting for someone to be there. Where last year, I think we saw him roll out a lot when he got in trouble. And of course, there was a guy right there. He knew where he wanted to go with the ball. And as we've talked about for weeks, running between the tackles, at least early in the game, most teams seem to have Jamie's number on the play calls. Now, I think, you know, the biggest apologist in me could say, well, you know, JMU, I think for weeks now, has known they're going to win these games. They've known their defense is not going to give up more than two scores. And they're just not willing to put a whole lot out there. They're not willing to mix it up a whole lot. But we are seven games in now with four to go. And I'd really like to see JMU be a little more creative and, and find some counter punches for what other teams are clearly, you know, they're clearly grasping what Jamie wants to do early in the game. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how the coaches and the coaching staff, I mean, I think Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive coordinator have by, I mean, far and away earned the benefit of the doubt on this, but it'll be interesting to see if they come up with some more creative wrinkles as they go, as we go ahead. And we haven't seen a trick play really all year from Jamie. So it, it will be, that, that's one thing. I, I don't know if it's a concern or just kind of a question mark going forward. But I, I'm hoping that JMU has a few more aces up their sleeves, so to speak. Yeah, I hear that. I've talked to a lot of people that say 
you know, they're not concerned at all about the offense because, like, oh, it's very vanilla and they're not really showing everything. And my question is, well, what are they saving it for? Um, <laughs> are they saving it? They might be. I have the utmost respect, and clearly Houston and the coaches know way more than I ever will. Right. They've got the track record. Where there's no right to question them. Um, but I do think there's some truth to that. It seems like they're doing just what they need to do to win. They're not really interested, as we mentioned last week, in, in style points. No. Um, and it almost seems like they're so committed to just every game, we're going to try to run between the tackles, we're going to try to mix it up to all the different receivers, and then in the second half, or particularly in the fourth quarter, we're just going to you know, sprint out to a lead and, and go home with a win. Yeah, um, which has worked. <laughs> which has worked. You know, you can't argue with it. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I almost wonder if they shorten the bench and start really targeting in on the top three or four receivers or weapons and start doing things. Will that be an opportunity then for, ironically enough, to get more diverse in the play calling? Yeah, you know, if, you have, if you have three or four top receivers all running a variety of routes versus five or six guys just doing kind of the same thing, the, the basics, um, I don't know. It, it could go either way. But I do get the feeling that the best is yet to come mm-hmm. and that we're going to see something different. I mean, th- these are not guys that are going to get out coached, but they don't seem like – I don't know. It's, you're right. Like It seems like other teams are prepared and we're still beating them. So you just wonder how we're going to counter it. Yep. And, and before we get away from talking about this week coming up, it, it is interesting to note, and you know, I, I don't mean to be overconfident about this, New Hampshire's 5-2. and two. New Hampshire is a traditional power in the CAA. They have been in the playoffs about a billion straight years. Um, but their schedule's a little odd this year. You know, they won a game against Maine to open the season by one point when Maine missed an extra point. They beat an FBS team, but that FBS team, Georgia Southern, just fired their coach and may be the worst FBS team in America. Yeah. Um, they got destroyed by Holy Cross, who, interestingly enough, another team that has coach. already fired their coach yeah. after a disaster start in a terrible Patriot League so far this season. Yeah. You know, they beat Rhode Island, understandably. They beat Bryant, who's a terrible team. They lost by two scores to Stony Brook, who's a really good team, but it, you know, was a 14 point loss. And they beat Towson going away. So I don't know that New Hampshire, I mean, I have no doubt. I mean, there, there is, I, it is, doesn't stop me for one second to say that New Hampshire has not played a team nearly as good as JMU yet this season. And yet they're five and two. Yeah. So, I, you know, as much as I think JMU has a target, New Hampshire will be out with a chip on their shoulder from the playoff loss last year. It, this is a big, big challenge for the Wildcats uh, this, this week, no matter what. So... And with that, we will get to our off-topic um, part of the conversation this week. Rob and I uh, talked about this a little bit tonight. We had a lot of great suggestions. Thank you to everybody who chimed in today. Um, but we're going to talk about our two favorite sports writers. So I, I don't think we put any, we didn't put any boundaries on this, whether it was like current or former or what have you. But we'll, we're just going to pick two each and, and talk about a couple people that uh, – Probably, I guess, to some extent, inspire us or make us laugh or make us appreciate sports better. So, Yeah, and just to kind of go behind the curtain, um, Todd and I both grew up in the D.C. area mm-hmm. in the 80s, and I am not largely a major D.C. sports fan. <laughs> um, I'm a Giants fan and a Mets fan. Yep. Uh, but I love the Caps, you know, love the Wizards and everything. So uh, that being said, I still recognize how fortunate we both were to grow up with the Washington Post sports page in the 80s. It's incredible. 
Yeah. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, th- they're caricatures now, but like Wilbon and Kornheiser were amazing. Boswell was amazing. Uh, Feinstein, you yeah. know, Sally Jenkins. It was just uh, Shirley Povich. It yeah. was, it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, one of the top papers in the country and just guys that just cranked out really, really great stuff. That was, you know, Boswell yeah. back in the day. Um, he was just, he was something else. Um, so really, really fortunate. We grew up reading a lot of great writers. Yeah. Um, I recognize how lucky we are, but today there's even more uh, with, with the internet. Um, you've got all these awesome, it, it runs the gamut from like really, really great writers to, right. to us, I guess. Right, right. Uh, so I, I guess my first one, I was going to say Wright Thompson, mm-hmm. but that's a little bit like saying that the Godfather is your, your favorite movie. Yeah. He was um, on my list too. So, yeah, you know, it's good. just, it's just, it's just obvious. I mean, he's just the best. Um, yeah. Every time he finally, you know, does one of his long reads every three months months, it just like you start hearing this like you're online and people like oh right thompson right thompson and then it's like everybody we know and follow appears to just drop what they're doing and read you know four thousand words of just amazing just mind-blowing stuff yeah he's he's just on another level yeah so i'm gonna kind of take him off of off of the board uh, the board Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go with joe posnanski okay um he's my he's my favorite and I think clearly Todd and I have a little bit of a kind of a sarcastic or snarky style. Um, Poznanski is anything but. He's like the most sincere, genuine guy um, writing sports today. I just love everything he writes. I love his passion for baseball. I love his passion for Bruce Springsteen. Where you're like that. <laughs> I love his passion for his family. I mean, like I love Paws on baseball, mm-hmm. but Paws on his family is even better. When he writes about like his daughters and Harry Potter or taking his daughters to Hamilton. Yeah. Um, the guy is just so sincere and so genuine but so knowledgeable and passionate about so many sports. Um, I cannot get enough of, of everything the man writes. Uh, if you get a chance, I've been looking for it for months. It was in the archives of the Kansas city paper for a while. And I can't find anymore. He did an article when Rulon Gardner, remember the wrestler? Oh yeah. The wrestler. The Sydney Olympics. When he won the gold, Kozanski mm-hmm. did like a deadline piece on that. And it was the greatest thing I've ever read. Like, <laughs> I'm not just talking sports. Um, it's like not on the archives anymore. So if anybody has it, send it to me. I'm telling you, hands down, it it's just it's the greatest thing you'll ever read. And the fact that he did not a deadline halfway around the world um, after witnessing such an amazing upset, the guy is just top notch as far as I'm concerned. So he's he's my number one. Yeah, that's um, a great choice. Yeah. And and for me, I mean, to what Rob said, I grew up on the post too. I am a DC sports fan in all five sports, and. I actually, it's funny that you say that because I, at this point, I really can't read Boswell because he's, oh, he's such a homer. He's such a homer that I feel like I'm jinxing my own teams. Yeah. Um, but certainly love him. And, you know, for everything, all the criticism that we all give Kornheiser today, there's no doubt for me, the first regular column that I ever read was the, the 91, 92 Redskins. The bandwagon? The bandwagon column. Oh, I right. read that as a Giants fan. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that I think is a, it was so far ahead of its time and it was such a precursor to all these things that are going on today. And, you know, we love, I love Dan Steinberg and everything that he's done and the kind of things that we're doing and other people are doing, which understand that sports is a game and it's, you know, it says something about the culture, but it also needs to be enjoyed and there needs to be some humor in it. And Kornheiser was way ahead of that and huge credit. 
and now he's a grump, which is so sad. Like yes. I feel like I feel like he created all the stuff that he now hates. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's like that making fun of Stein, like, all the time, right? Yeah. No. It's like, oh come on, man! All these people are inspired by you. I, I don't know if he doesn't realize it, but no, no he was amazing growing up. Such yeah. a talented guy and just such a unique perspective. Yeah, but my number one is definitely Spencer Hall. Um, Spencer's the guy who writes the uh, I don't know what to call it blog piece, whatever. Every day should be Saturday which is uh, primarily a college football SEC-focused uh, focused site. And it's a huge – I think it's fair to say it's been a huge influence on us. There's mm-hmm. nobody that is able to suspend their disbelief, as Rob said last week, about college sports and kind of appreciate the ridiculousness of traditions all around the country and kind of the coast-to-coast nature of college sports that make it so much, at least in our opinion, you know, so much more endearing and – more fun to, to follow than pro sports in many ways. And Spencer's just, he's, you know, he's kind of lost his mind in the last year <laughs> politically. Um, but he, but he's a guy who I think gets where college sports fit in the greater landscape, maybe better than anybody and has fun with it at all times. So, I, but I just, also knows the game. Oh, completely. I mean, he's really, yeah. he's, he's not faking it. No. Um, his yeah. his annual piece. Yeah, the online, preseason it, piece to start college football. To season. start college football, I read that, and every year it makes me like I'm torn. I want to either just drop what I'm doing and go home and practice writing because I'm embarrassed to even have a blog, right. or it makes me never want to. It's just like it's done. You, you can't top that. Nope. And every year he outdoes himself. Yep. And, um, and this year was one of the best. Yep. Yep. I, I think his understanding of it's funny how I think college sports can put you actually in a weird way ahead of where the country is going and you can see things in advance in a different way than other parts of the culture. And, uh, Spencer's just a great, a great chronicler of that part of what we all love. He also, and, and just to take this a little bit further, yeah. he's also part of that, the same vein as like the bitter Southerner or something mm-hmm. like kind of the new South and changing the way people view, uh, the Southeastern United States. Right. You know, I used to live in Atlanta. I know you're, you're in the Carolinas now. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal to me, and just it, it's a much more intelligent and diverse perspective than I think a lot of the the dumb stereotypes would get at. You know, people think SEC football is just a bunch of idiots, you know, <laughs> drinking beer and frat guys, and and I don't know. I think Spencer approaches it with all the fun that it deserves yeah. and that that sort of crowd enjoys, but also with a lot more intelligence and and perspective that kind of just changes the way you think about things in, in an enjoyable way. That's right. I mean, just because we like to fry up some gator doesn't mean we can't argue over foreign policy. Yeah, exactly. It's right. it's right. So, Rob, you want to go with your second one? I'm going to go with a little bit of wild card. I was thinking about Bill Barnwell. Um, oh, yeah. Just because he's just great. And I think he writes about football analytics in a way that's um, easily understood and, and, and just fun to read about. But I'm actually going to go with Katie Baker. And I know oh, this is a little bit of a wild yes. card. So uh, good. <laughs> yeah. I just – I admittedly i'm a little bit biased since she's a giants fan as well <laughs> so she tends to write with eli and with the degree of adoration that i expect any any sane person to write with um but she's also fantastic on hockey that's what i was gonna say i mean i'm not you a know. big hockey fan and she draws me in every time yeah with the hockey great. coverage yeah I, I absolutely love her on hockey um i like it when she did you know she was with grantland for a while now she's with the ringer her kind of feature stories that get her out of her comfort zone i think she's knocked out of the park but hockey and football uh, I think she's one of my favorite people to read. 
and that isn't just I kind of stumbled upon her like a lot of other people when she was deadspin. Yep. I think she was like working for Goldman Sachs and writing it on the sly with yeah. the email and then it became a full time thing. But she again is like super intelligent, super talented, um, very opinionated and can kind of change the way you think about things, but not in a beating it down your your throat sort of way. It's kind of a subtle opinionated. But very I just I, I love the way she writes and she's also got just the right touch of humor. Um, the New York, the wedding. That's the what I was going to say. I mean, announcements. I, yeah, forget yeah. football, forget sports. The New York Times wedding announcement analysis from Katie Baker. If yeah. you go back and read some of those old Grantland pieces, that's the funniest thing on the internet. Like, oh, and it's so funny because like she's making fun of herself. She's completely. she's from that Ivy League pedigree. Right. I think she's a prep school person. She also writes a lot about lacrosse. Very tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. I think she was very much around the game growing yeah, up. I think so. But it's just. It's very funny. Similar to the way we were talking about Spencer, like kind of taking those stereotypes, poking fun at them, but also doing it in kind of a loving fashion that maybe changes the way you think about it. But the New York Times wedding wedding reviews are, are hilarious, like jaw-droppingly funny. Yeah, she's, she's like ranking them fantasy sports draft style by yeah. the New York Times wedding announcements, like whether you went to a certain college and whether you're the fourth or the fifth in your family and yeah. You know, whether you lived overseas, it's hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, like these New York Times wedding announcements are for like the most bourgeois, like upper class oh. socialites. And it's always the most ridiculous things. Like he spotted her from across the bow of his sailboat when he was out the vineyard summer, you know, the type of person who uses summer as a verb. And it's like these Rodriguez and she's like, oh, and she used to email him from her nonprofit when she was vacationing in Switzerland. <laughs> just these awful things. And yep. Katie just mocks it to a T. And she's got a whole ranking system. It's hilarious. So yeah. read those. Read her on hockey. Whenever yeah. she writes on hockey, it's must read. Um, so that, that was a little bit of a wild card, but I, I love her. I think she's terrific. I love it, Rob. That's a fantastic choice. And it's hard for me to leave out Drew McGarry, but he is not writing much sports anymore. Uh, we do love his <laughs> non-sports stuff. And as a D.C. guy, and he's uh, someone who moved down from the Northeast and has adopted D.C., um, I do enjoy Recently, him. very complimentary of D.C. That's I right. Last week. Right. But, but I actually love, I mean, a very mainstream writer that I really enjoy week to week who I think gets college sports completely, both football and basketball, is Pat Forty. Yes. Right? Yes. And, He's uh, great. Yeah. And he, it's a very simple, you know, he does the 40-yard dash column during football season where he sort of hits on 40 different programs or different things in the game and then is a great basketball writer. I mean, mm-hmm. really understands the um, high major, mid-major distinction, you know, is admittedly, I think, a bit of a homer for things from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yes. Right. But, uh, but just a really, another guy who, you know, he takes it seriously. And I think he's always thought of it as a serious occupation and a serious endeavor, but also understands, I think generally where college sports fit into the bigger social strata of not only the nation, but, but the States in which they're played, the conferences in which they're played. And, um, it's just a guy I enjoy reading, it's never a long column, but sort of week to week. I mean, he carries you through all of football and all of basketball, and I just really enjoy him all the time. Yeah, it's neat how he can kind of go from those kind of big picture things, like you said, the 40-yard dash, mm-hmm. but then also dive in deep in more of a traditional journalism sense when, mm-hmm. like, the Patino thing breaks. Or, you know, he's still got those kind of reporting chops. Yep. But then he can also kind of play in today's environment. So he's a, he's a great – good on Twitter, too. Yes, um, and I, I think his daughter is a college collegiate swimmer. 
I think right. I think all now his kids are. Like I think that? yeah. I think his son might be a Georgia or something. I don't know. And it's been so interesting it's, over the last ten years, just as those kids have moved into that environment, to see him kind of, you know, recognize the broader landscape of college sports beyond football and basketball, mm-hmm. and where it all fits in on those individual campuses. We talk yeah. about this all the time at JMU with our constant, you know, FBS FCS discussion around football. But there's so many more factors that go into these decisions for each of these schools. And uh, he, he, he's just a guy I enjoy who I think gets it. So, Oh, yeah. He's great. He's yep. super enjoyable. So, Rob, you want to take us out here? Yeah. Well, once again, thanks for listening. For anybody who hasn't fast-forwarded or, or hung up as we go off on our little diatribes. But, um, definitely a big game this weekend. Hope everybody uh, enjoys themselves and has a good time at homecoming. And please remember to check out the blog, follow us on Twitter. And we still have those great shirts from Breaking Tea available. Um, links up in our Twitter bio or online. I got compliments and home on the shirt, which is rare. <laughs> so that, I, I did too. At my kid's yeah. soccer game, somebody came up to me and said, said so. Yeah. yeah. So you can find us everywhere. And uh, don't forget, sponsored by Pale Fire Brewing, go by Pale Fire and get your pint glass. Um, hopefully we will have a huge homecoming win to talk about. Um, Catch up with everyone next Monday after homecoming when we hope the Dukes will have put a two in the double-digit part of the win column, right? I think they will. I'm not, I'm not too worried, actually. <laughs> All right, Famous well, last words, I hope not. But. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, thanks, Rob, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Yep, have a good one. Go Dukes! Go Dukes!